Can you hear me all right? Some say yes and some say no. I'm a little self-spoken, so. Welcome to Caring for Your Heart. A little while back, my wife said, do you ever explain to people what that is? And I thought about it. You know, when I grew up, they used to have sayings like water under the bridge. You know, what does that mean? Uh, Sour grapes. You know, when I moved to the south, they said, now make sure you cut off the lights. The idea of cutting off the lights was a foreign concept to me. And so for years, I've been talking, teaching, preaching, counseling, to anyone who would listen about taking care of your heart. And when she, she had the audacity to say, do you tell people what that means? And uh, so that's what this is about today. Proverbs tells us, watch your heart, guard your heart, protect your heart with all Diligence. Why is it so important? Because every motivation, the wellsprings of life, comes from your head, right? It comes from your heart. If you're here this week and you're thinking, man, they're, they're saying that the head's not important. Well, no, the head's important, but it's dangerous if it's not connected with your heart. Every motivation comes from there. Jesus said, it's the things that come from within that defile the person. He's talking about the innermost being the core, and that is the heart. When you look at this slide, and it's, if you've been around very long with caring for the heart, you've seen this slide. And it's the idea that when those two get disconnected, when you begin to stuff things, when you begin not to process what you feel, when you're raised in a situation where it's not safe to share what you feel because you'll get shamed, blamed, people will use it to motivate or damage you, then it's better just to stuff those things, to hold them inside, and to present whatever it is that's desired. And so, I want to suggest to you that the heart is like an artesian well. Do you have any of those around here? I grew up with one of those in my basement. Can you believe that? We go down in the basement, and there's this fresh water just flowing out of the ground. I thought it was miraculous, because I look around, there's no pump. The only pump we had was if we pumped it up into the rest of the house. An artesian aquifer is a place where water gets confined. Uh, The water table, you can see it on both sides, are called a saturation level. And that artesian well is in the middle, and you see those two gray layers. They're impervious layers. So water comes in through the water table and into those layers, and it gets stored. And the higher it goes, the more pressure there is. That's just like the heart. The more that we... Push down in, the more pressure that there is. 
Now, I know you're not like this, but sometimes when somebody uh, breaks through that impervious layer, my heart, they get that pressure. When my girls were ready to consider young men and they'd say, Dad, we want to send them to you first. They come to us. We, we were in a community where there were abundance of young men. And, uh, and they said, we don't want to deal with them. We, we want you to screen them for us. And then my oldest daughter came back and said, but Dad, you've got to lose the look. Because <laughs> we send them to you and they get scared. They, and, well, that's that pressure, that look. See, I, I wasn't an angry man. I just kept it all down. Pastors can't be angry men. So if you can drop a line down through that impervious strata and you get a pipe down there, it's just like an oil well. It's going to come up. And I want to suggest to you that the heart holds things like that. Get a good old well flowing. God doesn't want us to not process those things. He says, come to me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden in what? I will give you rest. We're going to talk about a fellow named Peter in a little bit. How he learned how to take care of his heart. And the fact that when you get to the epistles that he wrote, he really expresses it well in just two short phrases. This fellow was holding this beach ball underwater. Can you see that? What happened? (laughs) It came up. See, if you push it underneath, you hold those emotions down the same way. Eventually, what's going to happen? They're going to come up. And so, maybe a beach ball is a better picture of the heart in this chart. What do we do with our emotions? Because that's how we take care of our heart. So if our heart's been damaged or we've been taught a way to care for our hearts, our emotions that keeps those things suppressed, eventually, what's going to happen? For instance, a classic definition for what John Regeer was talking about last hour, anger turned in is what? Depression. See, you have... A gauge for everything that you were meant to feel. If, if, if you're familiar with tractors or trucks or cars, everything that's going on under the hood that's important gets registered on the dashboard. Friends, those are your feelings. You were made to feel everything that comes along. You, you should know what's going on under the But if you grow up not processing those things, not having anybody care about them, and I'm going to say this, especially you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to care for the hearts of those God gives you the same way you care for your heart. If you keep pressurized, what are you going to pass on to those you love? That pressure. If you hold on to pain, what are you going to pass on to those you love? That pain. I can remember growing up saying, 
there's one thing I know, I will never be like my father. Guess what? I look like him. There are days I look in the mirror and I think, where did he come from? But until about a decade ago, I acted like him. Because I took the things that happened to my heart, living in his house, and I held them in. I want to challenge your thinking a little bit. If you're dealing with anybody who's struggling with depression, rebellion, anything that comes from where? Every motivation comes from where? The heart. If you're dealing with somebody in that category, drop 18 inches. That's your heart. Make sure you're connected there. And begin to listen to what they're saying. We have young people that get sent to us to help get them fixed. And what we hear is, why should I listen to them when they don't care about me? Is that rebellion? That's on the outside, that's rebellion. But what's going on on the inside? There's a need to connect and care. You know what happens? We drop 18 inches, we move towards their hearts, they respond, they're a different person. Then guess what happens? We send them home. And the old pain and the old pressure starts. And what do you think happens to that young person? They start dealing with their heart the way they did before so they can survive. It's a pretty big thing. Got some candles here. Which are the adult candles? Which are the children candles? Well, you all know, right? Tall ones are the adults and the short ones are the children. Hang in there with me. The tall ones are the children because they have the most left to shine, to burn. The short ones are the adults. When Mr. Gear starts talking about your heart as a child, sometimes we have to go back further to find that, to connect with it, and to begin to care about our own hearts. Jesus is a pretty patient fellow, wouldn't you say? I love Matthew 18. I'm, we're going to park there if you want to turn there. You'll have to forgive me. Sometimes I use the Hamrick version of the scriptures. But in Matthew 18, something that goes on probably every day with the disciples starts again. John looks over at Matthew and he says, it's going to be great when Jesus establishes the kingdom because I'm going to sit at his right hand. And you know, I don't know who's going to be at his left hand. Sometimes that discussion got so big that a couple of boys named the Sons of Thunder there their mother came in and said, I want to make sure my sons get positions when, when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I, I, I know he's heard this and heard this and heard this. So he goes over and he picks up a little child. And he brings him and sets him in the midst of the disciples. And he says this, except you become as this little child. Matthew 18, 1. You can't even enter. The kingdom of heaven. This isn't some psychological concept. 
Jesus is saying that God wants a relationship with us like a dependent child. And he's talking to adult men who are saying, who's going to be the most important? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? He does things like teaching them that servant leadership is important. But this is profound in what he's saying. This is that great chapter where it goes into step one, church discipline. Go talk to the person. Step two, take somebody with you. Step three, tell it to the church. And, and we've got it refined pretty good, right? Then we excommunicate them, we send them out. Can you imagine in the context of Jesus taking a little child and setting him and saying, who's the greatest? In a context that has other references of seeking and finding and restoring the lost in that, in that chapter, what do you think he's saying with these three steps? These are the ways you reach out and restore people. You go and you go to reconnect. And if it doesn't work, you take somebody with you. And if it doesn't work, you take it to the church to care about this person. And then, and only then, if they're actively sinning, do you take a step to say, God is not pleased. Do you see that context? It's so profound that Peter's there, and I just think of him in a classroom, and he's doing this? He says, but Lord, how many times, and, and forgive my English, do I have to forgive this jerk? He's saying, my brother, right? How many times do I have to forgive my brother? He's saying, how many times do I have to do this for him? And I'm like, Peter, I'm listening, and I'm, I'm waiting, and you know, you just, you, you want to know, and he says, Peter says, well, um, Jesus just said three times before you do something. How about seven? That's the perfect number. What happens? Jesus says, Peter, how about seven times 70? Well, my heart just went, ooh, that's too much. And it is too much if I'm doing it for him. It's too much for my heart. But what if Jesus is saying, Peter, every time somebody hurts your heart, take care of your heart. What if he's saying forgiveness, first and foremost, is for you? Now, how can I say that? Because we go on and Jesus begins to teach this parable of the unforgiving servant. And you've got to stick with it through the parable because the, he starts by the master calling in every debt. And he starts with the biggest debt. And this guy owes a gazillion dollars. In other words, the master says, you owe so much you can pay it in a lifetime. And so I'm calling you in and this is how we're going to settle this. I'm going to sell you and your family and get what I can that settled. And the guy says, please, please, just give me time. And the master says, there's no time enough. And so as you read on, he pleads and he says, if you'll just give me time. 
And so the master says, there's one other way I can settle this. I can take the debt. I'll, I'll pay the debt. And you can go free. And that's what he does. And the guy's so happy and he's so rejoicing that he runs out and he tells all of his friends, right? No, because nothing happened to his heart. So he leaves there totally forgiven. He goes to somebody else who's under him, a peer, he's a, a slave, and he says, look, guy, you owe me this many pennies. It was an amount he could earn in the day as he worked, and he could repay it. And the guy says, just give me time, and I'll repay. Just the same plea that the first servant made to the master. So the second servant is asking the same mercy, the same grace. And the first servant does what? You tell me. He takes the fellow, yeah, and he throws him into prison. He doesn't have the power to sell him. I think he would if he could. And all the other servants are watching and they run to the master and they say, you, you're not going to believe it. This wicked fellow, that's what they call him in the King James. He's wicked because he put the fellow in debtor's prison. And the master calls the first servant in. And it's really interesting because he says, I forgave you all that debt. That's the third time in that passage, by the way. That first debt is settled more than he could ever repay. And you go back in the King James and you look at the pronouns because this is profound. He says, because you've done this, I'm going to put you into prison until all that's owed to you is paid. Have you ever seen anybody who's holding on to something in their heart and they're bitter? They're in torment. What's amazing is that word there in the passage. Jesus says, I'm going to put you to the tormentors. The master says that, I'm sorry, in the passage. Until all that's owed to you is paid. What would get that fellow out of torment? To forgive the second servant. But if he forgives the second servant, that lets him out of prison. And so as long as he holds on to the debt towards the second servant, where is he going to be? In torment. Now how do I know that's the right translation? Because I was never taught that where I was trained, where I grew up. Because Jesus says at the end of that passage, so shall my heavenly Father do to each of you if you don't forgive your brother. Where? From the All of a sudden, it made sense when Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who trespass against us. I said that wrong, didn't I? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us. You see, it sounded so conditional. Jesus died for my sin and now he's only going to forgive me as I... What he's saying is he can't take from me what I hold on to. Now, I know Peter got this. You know why? Because you jump over into his epistles and he's writing about suffering. And he's telling people, this is how you take care of pain in suffering. He says, cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. It's a picture of forgiveness, isn't it? 
You're releasing the person and the pain to him, and he's comforting your heart. He cares for you. That's the most powerful thing. And I'm suggesting to you that's how we take care of our hearts. We don't hold on to things. We express them to him. And he cares for us. Now, forgiveness is a really interesting concept in the scriptures because it talks about forgiving others. So it's real easy to get the focus on this is what I do for you. Um, You know, here's my wife down here. She's cared for my heart for over a decade now. One day she said, if something doesn't change, I'm not going to make it. And uh, I thought for a minute, and I thought, well, the kids are almost raised. Things are going well vocationally. And by golly, we got the best marriage that I know of. And so I said, I don't understand. And she said, you're right, you don't understand. All the time I was living out of my head, 25 years before I'd stood at the altar and said, I'm giving you my heart. The truth is, I didn't go there, so nobody else was going there. So when I began to drop that 18 inches, I began to learn that Jesus wants a relationship with me there. All of a sudden, she could find my heart. She wrote me the neatest card. She says, best gift I ever got was your heart. How do you take care of your heart? You you've, may have forgiven people. You may have done it in all the right ways. You, you may have done it including your heart. But you run into that person again and everything stirs up inside. So did you forgive in the wrong way? So I'm going to suggest to you that's an event that takes place. And sometimes even 80% of the pain gets dumped in that forgiveness. But you know that 20% when something happens like that again or you see that person again, it comes right up and it can feel like 100%. So how do you take care of your heart? Do you need to forgive again? Now, you need to take Peter's advice, though, casting your cares on him, for he cares for you. So you go to him, you take the time, and you take care of your heart. This isn't an event that takes place and you never deal with anything again. This is a process for the rest of our lives. See, if you don't take care of your heart, you can ask my wife about this. Sometimes she'll say, where you been? And I think, what do you mean? I was at breakfast. I even got home for lunch today. It's supper time. This is the third time you've seen me. She'll say, well, where have you been? And I'll say, well, you know I've been right here. And she says, no, I'm talking about for the last two weeks. Somewhere I disconnected. And I didn't reconnect. And she couldn't give my heart again. We get busy. Where I grew up, the safe thing to do was not to connect, but to start working the list. First thing in the morning, you get busy, you don't feel. Or if you feel, you feel the good things that come back from working hard. And you don't deal with this. And so it's taken years for me to connect in the mornings. I used to have to make myself lay in the bed and begin talking to him. To start to connect with him. To be having my heart open so that when I run into my wife, so to speak, she can get my heart. 
Sometimes it's the other way around. I'll be talking with her and I'll say, how's your heart? And she says, I don't know. She hasn't gone there yet. Say, that's how caring for one another, that's where two is better than, than one. How are we doing? What's it, what's it sound like to you? Does, does God really want this, by the way? This intimacy? I'm going to suggest not only that he wants it, This is a little bit different than this verse, Matthew 18, 3. He says, except you become as a little child and be dependent. This version says, unless you go back to square one. You know, I started picturing myself, you know, just like here on, on Sunday. They can seat 500 people in here. Did you know that? You guys are all spread out. But I, I counted, there's 135 seats in every section. It's a great place. But imagine if you're four or five years old and you're looking for that familiar pant leg. 500 sets of them, right? You're looking for dad so you can... I started picturing that. That's the relationship he wants with me. Should I be mature? Should I be a man? Yes. But emotionally, where do I go? Do I go to what I eat or what I drink? I'm going to tell you something. You're looking at a reformed man. This guy can weigh an eighth of a ton in ten days. See, my vocational role doesn't allow me to choose women or alcohol or drugs. But I don't have any problem choosing food. (laughs) That's the addiction of choice. See, where I grew up, that wasn't a problem because we worked all the time. So I could eat. My dad used to say, I'm going to put a lock on the refrigerator. And the only time we're going to open it is mealtimes. So I wasn't the only one. We all needed to do something to feel, to make those gauges work. When the choice is something that's addictive, that becomes sin. Something morally wrong that becomes sin. We focus on that. We try to change it. Some of us have a lifetime of trying to change behaviors and choices to get freedom. And we're focusing on that outside activity. And what did Proverbs 14 or 4 say? Every motivation flows from the heart. Friends, if we take care of our hearts, we have freedom to choose. If we connect with our children that way, we send out a whole generation of people who are prepared to open their hearts to the living God and walk with him and find their emotional needs met in him. Do you know what kind of pressure it takes off of a spouse? You can ask my wife. When I look to her to meet my emotional needs, that's like making her God. I think that's called idolatry, and the Bible has some pretty solid things to say about it. When I switch that focus, taking care of my own heart and opening it up to him, she's like a free woman. Does that make sense? It's powerful. We should be childlike if we're connected emotionally, not what? Childish. 
See, if we have experiences and we can express those experiences and we can connect and feel the empathy of God in our hearts, that's like revealing what's inside, releasing what's inside, and receiving from him. And, and I believe that's what Jesus died for. Last year, I heard Del Regeer give a presentation on the suffering of Christ and how every piece of his suffering alone, by the way, remember in the garden, he said, can't you guys just stay awake an hour? And on the cross, he said, this is how he felt, right? You ready? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered alone so that at no point in our lives would we suffer alone. But if our hearts close because of something that happened and we've responded to it in a way that closes our heart, we can't receive from him. And we end up alone in the things that we're suffering. Childlike can be any age. Childish can be any age. They're determined by the condition of our hearts. Is my heart open or is my heart closed? Why is this important? Because in trying to trip up Jesus, the Pharisees asked him a question. They said, what is the greatest commandment? Why is that important? Because it's recorded in three Gospels. If it says it once in God's word, that's important. If it says it twice in God's word, that's really important. If it says it three times in God's word, what's that tell you? This is one you don't want to miss, right? Well, what is he saying? What's the greatest commandment? He took it from the great commandment or the great statement in Deuteronomy 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy might. He summed up the whole person. Do you get that? Intellectual, emotional, physical. So when Jesus answers that question, it says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, that includes the mind, and, and with all of thy mind, all of the person. Mark 12, 30, love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind, with all of thy strength. Luke 10, 27, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Do you get that? If it's a question of obedience, we're right back where we we're starting when we're just focusing on the mind and the heart. What's God want? A whole person relationship. Whole person. So if I'm doing something with my heart, it doesn't matter that somebody else did something to me that caused that response or that reaction. But if I'm doing something with my heart that closes it, now this gets really hard, I'm actually disobedient because I'm not obeying the great commandment by opening my heart to God. Now, I'm not suggesting if you're counseling somebody to tell them that. That won't open their heart. <laughs> That'll close it further. And if you're sitting here today and you're hearing this and you're saying, yeah, right, um, I'm, I'm supposed to do this because, okay, please hear what I'm saying. If you're going to take care of your heart, your heart needs to be an open heart. 
And the only one who can heal a heart and help a person to open it is Jesus. And he went through everything he suffered so that we wouldn't be alone in our suffering. He's the one person who knows how you feel. So if you're going to be on target, anybody in here uh, shoot slingshots, bows and arrows, guns? What do you want to hit? Center of the target, right? If what we're hearing this week is true, if you take care of the heart, everything else, there's freedom to choose. Does that make sense? So every day, if you want to be on target, what do you have to do? See, because I believe taking care of your heart is staying connected with the living God. Now let those concentric circles represent relationships. That means if you're taking care of your heart, that's your relationship with him. And the next one, depending on where you come from, the next ring would be your spouse if you're married. And then depending on your theology, it could be your children or your job or... I really don't want to define the rest of the circles. But that center will affect every one of those with the overflow. So if you're aiming at something other, if you're trying, trying really hard just to do the right thing, but the next circle out is your relationship with God, I'm suggesting you're missing it. Because your relationship with him is your heart. It's how you take care of your heart. All of these people have been impacted by me because God gave them to me. And they've all been impacted by the way that I took care of my heart because I was a survivor growing up. And so they've had to deal with their hearts. See, what happens when you've got a dad that all of a sudden he wants to give you a hug instead of a lecture? All of a sudden, he realizes that you can learn more from the experience than you can from what he has to say about it. And so he just offers a hug. That kind of messes up the way they function in a good way, right? So every one of them, you know, but the littlest ones, it's the neatest thing because they come with open hearts already. You see that happen with grandparents a lot. Kids are going, boy, I wish dad would have been like that with me. Just think if your heart's opened up. Okay? There's a couple more after that picture. This one came out of the one who was pregnant, and then this one just came a couple weeks ago. There's nothing like it, having that new life and being able to, even as a baby, to connect with them, just to hold them and to talk to their hearts and to tell them how precious they are and how wonderful life is even with all the bumps and bruises, and how God desires that they come to him. You can start that in the womb. We learn how to take care of our hearts where we grew up. That's how we manage today. We survive. And we tend to treat others the way we treat ourselves. And my suggestion is that's why we need help to heal. That's why we need others to care for us 
when we're going through that healing process. The good news is we've been adopted into God's family. I find for a lot of people, if they can move emotionally from where they grew up and begin to think about what an unconditional love is like and live emotionally connected to him, you say, we're going to get that when we go to heaven, right? But we have it right now through Christ Jesus. If people make that move and begin to live there, and if there's someone who can connect and care to help remind them that that's what it's like, it's life transforming. At the point of obedience, God wants a whole person relationship. I believe we have all that stuff trapped up inside. It needs to come out. Sometimes the trauma of life is like having a pipe jammed all the way down there and it just comes out. Remember that artesian well? I had a fellow once, I worked with him for months. His wife gave up. She'd given up before they came. He never felt, I told him about him yesterday, He's, he was a math professor. Everything in life was an equation. One plus one equals two. Doesn't change. Only he could think in variables, and he's the smartest guy I think I ever met. But there's one thing he never did was express what he felt. And I can remember the day I almost shouted out loud when he came in my office and he said, I am so angry that I could spit. And I said, he's feeling. <laughs> this is great. Answer to prayer. Isn't it sad that the only feeling he could express was his anger? And from there, he started to take on the role of an adopted son. And God began to change his life. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. This is Peter, remember? Casting all your anxiety on who? Him. Let it out. Let that beach ball up. Because he cares for you. This is a continuous action. It's a way to care for your heart. Psalms are great because David often starts where we are. You read his words, but he ends up where God is. That exchange takes place. For you, O Lord, are good, ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. What's it going to take to drive that pipe down? What's it going to take to allow you to express to him? I'm suggesting that it's the care that we've been talking about. Somebody connecting and caring. And that can happen with just you getting along with him. I was talking to a dear brother before we started. What happens when a person believes that God isn't like that? Somebody so damaged their heart 
with his words and his name that they don't even want to hear it. If you look at the tapes that we did back in Atlanta a few years ago, I interviewed a couple, and right in the middle of the interview, he shut down. Because somebody had damaged him, and, and the words came up. And I just, I remember seeing that expression. I'll never forget it. It's a, it's a bad term to say spiritual abuse, but when somebody uses God's name or God's word, and they apply that kind of pressure on somebody that they shut down. And they don't believe in the God that we're talking about. They believe in the God that was formed in their minds and their hearts. That takes a safe place. And sometimes more time than we're willing to invest. To help somebody move from there. To being able to connect with him. But we want to see this don't we? What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? If you knew who it was you're speaking to, you would ask, and I would give you what? Streams of living water that would flow from your innermost parts. That's a picture, isn't it? We've got 20 minutes to talk together I have one more thing to share, and I'll save that to the end. I'm not the shell answer man, but I'm here to interact with you. And if nothing else, we can look to God together. Let's do that song. And then have the question and answer time. This is just a song that expresses what we've been talking about. A little bit more. Something in your eyes I see Reminds me of what used to be When I was still uncertain of the truth Sleepless nights that turn to days Alone inside an endless space Counting on someone to see me through And if there's one thing I know You were never left alone Cause you can always call on Jesus' name Turn around 
Then tell me who knows better child than me thing is that one day it's not going to be all about pain. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Life is going to bring stuff. But I'm talking about the past. There is a day as you're taking care of your heart when it's just you connected with him, connected with your spouse, And it's good. In the meantime, there's this thing they call uh, two competing emotions at the same time. You're holding on to his pant leg, and that's good. And life's bringing stuff, even from the past. And you're dealing with that in relationship with him. I could tell you hundreds of stories over the last eight years. But I really believe it isn't about being obedient to God and opening your heart. It's about being connected with him in a relationship that you desire to please him the way my little grandchildren, four and five years old, want to please their parents. They just want to be connected. Another friend told me one time... uh, he, he was in a particular culture, but he said, every little boy, it's like a cell phone. You flip that phone open and he's roaming, searching for a connection. 
And in that particular culture, there weren't any to be had. Because the first thing they do is shut people down emotionally. So how is your heart? That's my question. If I stand in the back of a church service after sharing like this, uh, the men will all come and they'll say, I think it's okay, I haven't been to the doctor lately. <laughs> but the ladies, when they come out, they know what I've been talking about. But seriously... frustrated that's an answer to that question how's your heart he says because he's had people that he's tried to care for and they take a pain word sheet like was shown in the opening session this morning and sometimes they can check the words that they put on that sheet but they can't express so that, that's what he's saying he says how do you care for somebody who can't even express what's in their hearts. By the way, that's the third time in, since I've been here I've been asked that question. How do you find somebody's heart when they don't go there? I knew a guy like that once. I'm looking for the answer. Diane? Thing is safety can be a part of that emotional safety. And if you have somebody that that person's safe with, hopefully like a spouse or a family member, you can put words in their mouth, you know, is it okay if a little girl or a little boy cares for, you know, they're dropping 18 inches into their heart because you're coaching them and they're addressing those things in their spouse's heart. That person doesn't like the term little boy, little girl. I have that happen almost every month because I work with military families a lot. And the guy will say, don't, don't use that term I'm setting right here. See, most of the guys I've met in the military were like that before they went in, but they've basically shut down their hearts so they can do what they do. And they keep anger right down here, kind of like in a toolbox, so that when they get in a situation where somebody needs to get up and lead, they grab that anger and they do whatever they have to do, and usually that's the guy everybody else gets behind. So first of all, they don't want to give that up because that's what keeps them alive in their minds. And, and secondly, they don't want to feel because if they feel, they can't do what they do. So when you don't have somebody to get into somebody's heart, what do you do? That's the question you ask, right? But that's where we are. I pray like crazy. That's, I just keep praying. And I throw not fiery darts, but 
I throw things in to see if they hit anything. Like, especially if I've heard their story, I begin to, to ask questions like, well, what would a little boy do if that happened? How would that person feel? And sometimes the next day or the next day, if you have that kind of time with a person, um, a lot of times somebody who already is stuck can't express. They go to the office. How many here like to go to the doctor? How about the dentist? So they come to the counselor, right? And they're already, you know, it's kind of like they're expecting, does that hurt? Does that hurt? And you're trying to find that spot. And so sometimes throwing those little darts, those little statements about a little boy or a little girl, then when they get out of the office and some of that pressure lifts, you know, with some couples or individuals, more happens outside of the office in connecting than happens in the office. Does that make sense to you? For instance, I had one guy one time, he, he said there was a railroad track behind our motel. And he said, I started walking that railroad track and God reminded me of the time when I was in college and I'd walk the tracks at school and talk to him. And I began to hear from him. Well, I could have never come up with that in a million years. Uh, you're stuck, so why don't you go walk the railroad tracks? Right? But God prompted that in the fellow's heart. So is it frustrating because you can't get in? Yes. Does that mean God's not working because you're caring for that person? No, it's not. Yeah. It's just hard because... When you're help, trying to help somebody and you know where they could be and you just want that for all the world for them, it's really hard to take that pressure inside of you and care about them. And so, um, at least for me, a big part of the frustration is just letting him have what's going on inside of me so I can relax and keep watching what he's doing. Uh, you know, how many of y'all have been to a Caring for the Heart office? How many of y'all have been to two Caring for the Heart offices? I could keep going because three and four, uh, I talked with a couple right before here that are scheduled to come to our office, and they've been to several other offices because one person gets free in a couple, and it's the only place they've experienced that kind of care. I'm not saying it's the only place that that happens, but it, it, then they get connected, and, but the other is still struggling. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a process. And you may be, uh, when I was growing up, they used to say, sometimes it takes four corners of the blanket. Remember when they brought the lame man to Jesus and dropped him to the roof? If they hadn't had somebody on every corner of that blanket, he wouldn't have gotten there and he wouldn't have gotten help. And, and sometimes we're just one corner of the blanket. That's really hard to accept where I'm coming from because I had to come to this. I have a new motto. Are you ready? I started last year. I'm 100% successful if I care about the person. So I quit focusing on getting them to move. And I just keep focusing on caring about them. And when I do that, I have a really good day. When I don't do that... <laughs> 
I come home and my wife reminds me, now what's your motto? Anybody have more practical help? I'm not trying to. It is frustrating, but people don't have to let us in. But we can still care. And if they're stuck, it's okay for them to come to that conclusion. I'm just stuck. You know, God has a lot of ways to drive that pipe down through the impervious layers of our heart. And trauma, things that happen. When people's heart get open because of pain, it can be really dynamic. And in the office, they may just be so closed because of the pressure. You can still care about them. When they leave, I want them to know they're, I'm their friend, unless they're practicing sin. That's another whole other issue. But I try to leave the door open, if that makes sense. Great question. No, no solid answer. Just raise your hand if you... I'd rather have them hear the question from you. Uh, can you... Maybe it's just me, but if there are days when I'm really struggling personally with whatever, you know, stress, depression, whatever it is, and I know ideally I'm supposed to resolve that and then, you know, go in and care for their heart. Uh, I don't always do the ideal thing. So, you know, I, I, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and I know that this couple's coming in, and they have needs, and I need to focus on their needs, and I need to, you know, care for, for their hearts, but I'm struggling personally. So my, what I did in the past is, you know, I, I shut the feelings off, and I go to my head, but that doesn't really work either if I'm caring for their heart because I need to stay in my heart. So can you kind of explain um, practically how, how you deal with that? We're not good for people if we're not connected. And if you can take the word process and think about it, Wherever you are in processing what's going on inside, it's him who's going to do the work in them. And so to put that on a shelf, because think of it like you and your wife struggling. And um, right now the baby just rolled off of the changing table or whatever. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah. So unless it's broken, burning, or bleeding, that's what I call an intervention rule, then I can take whatever it is and set it. And there have been lots of times I've had to say to a couple, look, we're going to change the week around because I've got something that I have to deal with to be any good for you. And we change the meeting times because they've gone to some expense to come. And when they come with us, they, they're paying for everything to get there, to stay, to eat, the whole... So... Um, so if it's broken, burning, or bleeding, I owe it to them to put it on the counseling on the shelf and deal with what will free me. But otherwise, I'm working through a process, whatever's going on, and, and unless it's something that's blocking me from him, I need to put it on the side and give that. We work in three-hour sessions. so. We, I, those three hours belong to them. 
And there are many times that that's a hard decision because how do you decide what's broken, burning, and bleeding? So I always ask God, but usually I had a, a real wise fellow one time. He said, um, you know, the voice of God sounds an awful lot like my wife, Mary Lynn. And it's like, so when I'm struggling with what to do, I ask uh, the voice of God, and usually it's pretty clear. I just want to encourage the counselors that are here. Uh, my husband and I uh, went to John McGear's office about six years ago, and we were in the third day of counseling with him, and we were sitting in the waiting room. And that's when God opened the heart of my husband because the song Children of the Heavenly Father was playing Hmm. and that cut right to his heart and it was only God who knew that. So even as great as John Regeer is and we love him, um, uh, it's only God who's going to open these hearts and and he can do it and he does it. A lot of times I have somebody say, you know, you're not like John Regeer. And I said, praise the Lord. That means we can look to him together. Amen. And just a brief reflection on the uh, on Merv's first question. Thank you. Reflecting just a little bit, if the heart cannot respond, I then first need to go back to remember the lenses I'm looking through. Because I have to remember the heart is created to respond. And when it can't, that person must be really lonely. Remembering that helps me be very compassionate. Because I have to remember how lonely that little person is inside. And still wants to be found, although this person might not think he does. So as John reminded us this morning, the first step would be to try to understand, okay, what did this person not receive that locked him up? Or, number two, what did he receive that locked him up? That was a really helpful nugget for me this morning, just to review that and ponder that. probably just a confirmation now because it's happened a couple times but I I was thinking about a couple I was working with and they were stuck 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 because she was very detached and there was a lot of pride and hypocrisy and they didn't even want to go there Uh, but I'm a musician and so what I did was I I brought them in for a whole day and we spent like 45 minutes just in worship Mm -hmm. and after that we didn't have to say anything we went right to those prayers and everything was resolved Mm -hmm. um, because God inhabits that praise, and their hearts were touched, just yeah. like this woman was sharing. And it's not at all about us at all. It's mm. all about Jesus showing up. Amen. That prompting is so important. Uh, I've had people do a similar thing, only they'll say, would it be all right if we sing some hymns? And, and I used to go, well, we're not here to, we're here to work on the problem. But what they're asking for is care they can receive. And sometimes we miss that because we want to get down to business. And so, you know, 
we'd go to the hymnal, start singing hymns, and, and it's like, okay, now we can pray. So, it. It has that potential, you know. So, heart language is really. It, that's how God speaks to a person, not necessarily to me, but if they're asking for care in a kind of unique way, it's not a bad place to go. I know the time is upon us, and I'm not trying to not get everybody's question, but it's been so good to be with you. And when when we talk with people, a lot of times, and John uniquely works with couples, and because of our situation where we live, we started working with military wives and particularly young military wives. And so, but sometimes if you go to a counselor as a couple, you're focusing on your spouse and the way they're not meeting your needs or the way they're damaging you. I want you to think about this. If your spouse never changes, it doesn't mean that Jesus can't Take care of your heart. And whose heart is it? And who have you given it to? And the problem in marriage is we're to be one. And it's designed after the pattern of the Godhead. So Christ should be the head of the home and the husband and wife should be connected that way. And, and so, but sometimes we kind of fall into this default. If my spouse doesn't do right, I'm, I'm left. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in this difficult situation. I just want to tell you, you can take care of your heart with his help. So many times I'm struggling with a couple, and if I can just get one of them to connect, and after a couple days of care, it's like they go, oh, you know, look what I've been doing to my spouse. See what I'm, they, they have motivation because they're in their heart and they're seeing their spouse's heart. You can't see somebody's heart if you're not in yours. And that's a vulnerable place to live, let me tell you. I used to get up in front of 600 people on Sunday mornings, and if I was in my heart, I would feel what was going on with those people. But if I wasn't in my heart, I did what I used to call, I beat the sheep, you know? Raise the standard through the scripture. But without caring for people, they don't have the motivation. Well, I started dropping into my heart, Within about three months, they wanted a new preacher. <laughs> they didn't want that. They wanted to hear the truth, and they didn't want anybody messing with how they felt. It is amazing. Father, what a privilege. I can only imagine your joy with the idea that everybody in this room and everybody in your family would respond to your desire to be with them. I think of how Jesus expressed it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I will fellowship, I will sup with him. It's the most intimate picture in that culture. People coming in, sitting at the floor, just feet and all right there, being together. Thank you that you love us so much that no matter how stinky our feet are, you want to be one with us.
Lord, would you help us with the places in our hearts that keep us from desiring that? Lord, we just commit to you over the next days to hear your voice and follow you. And we pray this in the strong, powerful, unconditional name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much.